0: A stunning comeback for a Philippine political dynasty. Ferdinand Marcus Jr. won the presidency more than 30 years after his father was pushed out from power. But will he unify the nation or bring back his father's controversial legacy? I am Hashim Abbara and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help define major global stories. Let's bring in our guests in Manila, Richard Hedarian, columnist at the Philippine Daily Inquirer. In Denver, Alvin Kamba, assistant professor at the Joseph Corbel School of International Studies, University of Denver. In the Philippine city of Marikina, Danilo Arau, a convener at the election watchdog Contradaya. Welcome to the program. Richard, what does the revival of the Marcus political dynasty mean for the Philippines?
1: Well, in many ways, this marks uh, decades long frustration of ordinary people with the dysfunctions of the supposedly democratic system that replaced the Marxist dictatorship after 1986. I mean, that revolution was supposed to bring about a progressive order. Yet what happened was the liberal oligarchs in the country, what happens was political dynasties in the countries co-opted that revolution. And hence, we had a lot of dysfunctions. I mean, the Philippines has one of the most concentrated growths on earth. Forty richest families to come 76 percent of newly created growth in 2011. Uh, up to 83 percent of the Philippine Congress is dominated by political dynasties. I mean, these are mind-boggling numbers. And of course, the pandemic in recent years has also made the poverty gains and the developmental gains also, uh, they were reversed in many ways. So the return of the Marcoses is, is really a counter-revolution. It's it's a way by which the Marcoses were able to exploit people's frustration with what replaced their father's regime. And now they're back in power in alliance with the Dutertes, who still remain really, really potent force in Philippine politics.
0: Mm-hmm. Alvin, this is someone who is going to face huge challenges ahead. But given the landslide victor do you think that he will feel enough confident to pursue an aggressive political agenda
2: um i feel like he will likely um be able to uh push back against sort of this like potential backlash against his policies um he you know he was elected with 31 million of like uh of, the, of like uh, filipino voters um he has a strong base there's a strong coalition of elites around him and you know he will likely focus on um, having his own take of policies that are somewhat a spin-off the Duterte policy, so in an independent foreign policy, a focus on infrastructure and a strong state against the opposition. Of course, it's going to be a bit different. He will reward a different set of elites, and he will focus on a different set of agendas to some degree. But I think he will have some degree of popular mandate, uh, some popular mandate to push forward his own policies, uh, relatively autonomous from, I would say, um, you know, a potential public backlash.
0: Danilo, this is someone who is going to be haunted by the legacy of his father, Ferdinand Marcus Senior. However, he's not willing to distance himself from that legacy or at least denounce it, which is going to create some confusion mm-hmm. among those who suffered under the era of, uh, of his father.
2: Yes, that's true. Uh, this information is the name of the game right now and there seems to be the normalisation of fake news not to mention the institutionalization of repression. Of course, uh, it's true, uh, Richard mentions the frustration of people, but we have to also take into account the fact that the Marcoses have prepared for this for more than 30 years now. Uh, they really intend to make a comeback to Malacanang, and they did so uh, not because of their sincerity to for them to be given a chance, but for them to arrogantly arrogate upon themselves A narrative that is really uh, close to fiction, uh, something that's a parallel universe in a multiverse of madness, uh, if you don't mind my saying that. It's mainly because of the disinformation, uh, mainly because of historical denialism and red tagging and that's why there's a need to fight back and to push back.
0: Mm -hmm. Richard, explain this to us. I mean you have a new president whose father was accused of plundering almost $10 billion during his reign, and the family itself has been involved in tax evasion schemes. Still, people seem to forget those things and say, you know what, let's move ahead with the Marcus family.
1: Yes, I mean, I completely agree with Danilo and a lot of uh, journalists and colleagues who emphasize the role of disinformation. But there was a reason why I emphasize systemic frustration, because... Disinformation is there in many countries all around the world. In fact, if you look at misperception index, for instance, the levels of disinformation in the Philippines is similar to Colombia, to Mexico, to Brazil, and yet those countries keep on electing more progressive leaders than the Philippines. So we're forgetting, for instance, the dysfunctions of the opposition in the Philippines, lack of unity among them. But more importantly, we're also forgetting the fact that disinformation is almost I mean, people are most receptive to disinformation if the educational system is not inculcating the critical thinking that will help them to see through disinformation. This, this information is more appealing to people if people, for instance, are frustrated with the system and don't see any prospect for breakout reforms, for instance. So I think to look at just this information alone, you're missing. You're just scratching the surface, and you're not looking at structural factors that are coming into picture. Not to mention, as I said, had, for instance, Sara Duterte, the presidential daughter, former presidential daughter. Had she decided to run for the presidency, I'm not sure if Marcos Jr. would have even stayed in the race, never mind winning 58 percent of the vote. So that alliance with the Duterte was also a very important contingent factor that made him victorious. But nonetheless, correct. I agree with Alvin that Marcos will try to play his own game. I mean, clearly he's trying to be his own man. If you look at his cabinet uh, appointments, he's putting a lot of loyalists trusted mm-hmm. advisors traditionalists there so he's trying to also show that he can be independent from other houses including the house of duterte and try to be in his way at least a unifying leader focusing on economic recovery and infrastructure development
0: uh, alvin to break down this uh, path towards the presidency was the marcus family taking advantage of what richard said basically which is a long uh, frustration with a dysfunctional political establishment or was it A family that knew how to use social media in a way or another to reinvent itself? Because ultimately, when you have younger generation voting, they tend to forget the past.
2: Um, It's a bit of both. Um, I mean, Danilo and Richard are are both correct on this. Like, structurally speaking, you cannot disentangle disinformation and education and let's say the political mobilization of a family from the structural context where it exists. The Philippines is, um, as what Richard said, the rise of the liberal uh, the um the comeback of the liberals in the 1980s in, ni- in the 1980s and the failure of steering government towards meaningful reforms at the same time you do uh, at the same time you while you have this polarization in sort of the philippine context you do have political maneuvers going on it are go, uh, going on as well i do want to highlight what richard said and i completely agree on, i completely agree with this um the role of education is extremely important and a couple of social scientists have come up come up with the idea that Oh, you know, if you take a look at the people who voted for Marcos, you have college educated people voting for Marcos, you have people with master's degrees, you have people with PhDs um, in some sort of data set. They sort of create this idea that education is not a factor. And I disagree with this because a lot of the studies that say that education is not a factor, they use data sets that, uh, that that look at education in terms of categories, like primary, secondary, and tertiary. But I bet if we have a better data set that looks at the quality of education, then we could actually say that education is, is indeed a major factor as to why people voted for Marcos.
0: Mm-hmm. Danilo, a few days before the inauguration, the government decided to shut down the news website, Rappler. Is this something which is likely to be further consolidated by Marcus or do you think that he will be under pressure to uh, to reinstate it back?
2: To some extent, he will try to deodorise his administration because he knows for a fact that uh, the label dictator's son will always be there. But of course, he will try nevertheless to justify uh, the repression under Duterte. And for the same reason that he is all praises for his father, he is also, uh, you know, uh, very much uh, uh, in high regard uh, to the past uh, president. Even if the past president uh, didn't uh, see him that much of a candidate, Uh, he was even accused of being, you know, a drug addict. But nevertheless, uh, these are very, very serious times for media. Uh, it's not just Rappler that's affected under the Duterte administration. Uh, just recently, our websites, uh, Bulatlat and Pinoy Weekly, two of the alternative uh, news media organizations, uh, were shut down uh, because of the blocking uh, of our websites, uh, apparently upon the orders of the powers that we. We were red-tagged once more. So we would see that kind of continuity. So that's why the pushback, uh, would have to happen uh, even within the ranks of media. That's mm-hmm. the difference between the Marcos and Duterte administrations. In the past, the media were not harassed so much, but right now uh, the red tagging has become so intense that even journalists mm-hmm. uh, who are critical of the administration they are affected by red tagging.
0: Richard, you mentioned earlier the alliance between the two powerful dynasties. The Duterte, uh, Sarah Duterte, and uh, Marcus Jr., uh, which paved the way for Marcus to take over. In this case, uh, is he going to end up being politically beholden to Sarah Duterte for the rest of his tenure?
1: You know, I I agree with Danilo that, I mean, if you look at the Marcuses, they will try to deodorise, for instance, to make themselves look good internationally, right? I mean, look at his inauguration speech. It was mostly in English, very sophisticated prose, you had a lot of uh, high-level dignitaries. So he wants to improve the world. And in the same way, that kind of strategy, I think, they'll also apply to the other rival, or rivals or allies, for that matter. I mean, on one hand, of course, the Marcoses will say we're allies for life. That's exactly what presidential sister, I mean, Marcos, Senator Marcos, said we're going to be ally, allies for life with the Duterte's. They attended the inauguration of Saudi Duterte in the South. They said we'll take care of you. But at the same time, if you look at Marcos in his first hours after he won the presidency of the other month, he didn't give Sarah Duterte the, the cabinet position she was asking for, which was the Department of National Defense. Instead, Marcos chose to give it, for instance, to a former general, more traditionalist persons. He didn't give the Department of Foreign Affairs so loyalists, he gave it to traditionalists. Uh, so, and then in the Speaker of the House, for instance, everyone thought it's, he's going to give it, for instance, to former President Arroyo, one of the key allies during the campaign that brought the two houses together. He didn't give it to her. In fact, he supported his own cousin, Martin Romualdez to take over the Speaker of the House. What does it say? It says that the Marcos will try to do the bare minimum to avoid major divisions fault lines and fights with other houses but at the same time they'll try to consolidate their own hold on power and push their own agenda and I think if ever Marcos pushes for constitutional change that's where we're going to see a lot of divisions definitely the, the Duterte's want more federalism more mm-hmm. uh decentral, decentralization of power but Marcos may have his own ideas about a strong strong centralized state
0: Alvin Tomorrow, the president will have to deal with issues such as a country which ranks poorly when it comes to the global corruption assessment, which is suffering from underdeveloped infrastructure. How can he move forward to rebuild this country?
2: So he would likely continue uh, the Duterte government's uh, focus on infrastructure. So uh, getting a lot of um, foreign government loans, particularly from China, uh, the Asian Development Bank, and Japan, and uh, pushing the budget to sort of like financing a lot of these projects. So uh, the Duterte government pursued a budget deficit strategy called the Build, Build, Build. Marcus would likely do the same. And to some extent, this harkens back to how his father governed the Philippines in the 1960s to the 1980s. Um, I think the focus on infrastructure is really, really important. If it is done successfully, uh, it can it can lead to employment. It employs people. It rewards uh, local business elites because infrastructure projects will have to be coordinated between international players and domestic players. It builds his legitimacy because it makes it appear he is doing something. And more importantly, it creates a legacy for him and his family, mm-hmm. for his uh, for the Marcoses to continue on winning uh, <laughs> future elections. Uh, should His uh, son or like sister Mm -hmm. run for uh, higher positions.
0: Danilo, in a way or another, if you'd like to watch. Whitewash the legacy of your father. You need to. You need projects. You need to bring the nation something new. In this particular case, you have a president who takes over a nation which has been massively hit by uh, COVID-19 pandemic. Sixty thousand uh-huh. Filipinos were killed in that, and you have a, an economy which is moving towards uh, a recession, and you have an inflation which is causing huge problems for the country. How do you see him getting enough revenues to be able to implement? Uh, some of the pledges he made during his election campaign.
2: Well, based on uh, recent policy pronouncements, uh, we're seeing more taxes uh, to be, you know, levied uh, not against the rich, but more uh, indirect taxes, so that would hit the poor more. And of course, more uh, debt, uh, more dependence on foreign investments. And if you go by the appointments of the of the next set of economic leaders right now. Uh, they have a more neoliberal and globalist perspective. So we can see here more uh, continuity in terms of export-oriented growth, uh, foreign investment-led economy, and something that's debt-dependent. So that's why uh, it's going to be very, very challenging uh, for the poor uh, and even the middle class uh, if they don't get the aid that they need. And the micro and small and medium enterprises uh, will also suffer uh, as a result, uh, I don't want to be a doomsayer here, but uh, right now, uh, things are really not so promising insofar as the Philippine economy will be concerned. And part of the reason is that Duterte uh, has accumulated so much debt, uh, apparently because of the COVID-19 response. Mm-hmm. But how to pay it back, uh, future generations of Filipinos will have to do that. And in, and in fact, paying back the massive foreign debt will even go beyond uh, mm-hmm. the Marcos regime.
0: Richard, Marcus will inherit from Duterte the bloody war on the drug policy and the settlements that he made with the rebel groups. Uh, Do you see him continuing with that legacy or do you see him charting his own course?
1: Right, as far as I know, I mean, based on conversation with some of his cabinet members, I mean, there are a lot of internal debates and I think uh, Marcus' policy is still fluid. How is he gonna stand on things? In fact, even on the infrastructure issue, which uh, you know scholars like Alvin have extensively written on, uh, there's an internal debate on whether they're gonna go public-private partnership or they're gonna rely more on foreign financing and government financing, and also on the issue of taxation. Should mm-hmm. they increase the taxes? They have fiscal consolidation. Now, on the drug war, I believe there's also gonna be a lot of internal discussion. So the Dutertes, including Vice President, Sarah Duterte was also Department of Education secretary, and other loyalists of Duterte will push for the continuation of a drug war almost a status quo. But Marcos himself recognizes that the drug war has been a big headache for the Philippines, bad headlines, mm-hmm. it undermines rule law, it turns off a lot of investors. So he has suggested actually that he may tweak it a little bit, for instance, more focus on surgical operations against big fish, drug lords, right? Mm-hmm. More focus on rehabilitation. So I think at least on the optics level, he's gonna make some changes and tweaks so that he th- uh, things will look better. But the big question though is, Will he allow the International Criminal Court to investigate the drug war under the previous president? Because that could uh, potentially lead to the prosecution of the previous president and create conflict within coalition.
0: Alvi, let's talk foreign policy here. When it comes to China, on one hand, he badly needs support from the Chinese government. But do you think that this is a moment where he will have to distance himself from China and embrace more of American policies?
2: Um... So um, I, I don't think so. Um, I feel like um, it, you know, uh, people like uh, you know, um, people have written that uh, Duterte uh, that Marcos is going to be uh, you know following the footsteps of Duterte, and I feel like that's partially true in as much um, as the Marcos government will need the Chinese government at the same time. He will also need the American government. Um, you will always have uh, institutionally the Philippines will always be tied to the United States, whether it's about. Uh, exporting labor to the United States or foreign direct investment or trade. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can never d- disconnect from the United States. At the same time, um, there is a question of political survival and a question of like coalitional politics here. Um, China does give opportunities to the Marcos government to reward local elites through particular foreign projects, per- uh, like through like foreign projects mm-hmm. or through some other Mode of financing, and and in as much as I agree that as well, and this goes back to infrastructure. In as much as I agree that it is fluid, and I've done field work here both in Davao and in Ilocos Norte when I was doing finishing my PhD, there is always a question of how do you reward your local elites? How do you extend your power as the as the as the president? Mm -hmm. And to me, that goes back to having foreign financing, whether it's a budget deficit strategy or it's a public-private financing. It's all about rewarding local elites to keep yourself in power.
0: Danilo. Is he going to be in a way or another overshadowed by the maritime territorial disputes with China? And we know that recently they have had an issue, particularly about the joint exploration of energy in the South uh, China Sea, which they decided to shelve because of huge differences. Is this something which is going to definitely have an impact on his future relationship with China?
2: Yes, definitely. And uh, as uh, the two gentlemen mentioned, uh, relationship with China uh, will still be there. Uh, it remains to be seen whether or not uh, Marcos will pursue an independent foreign policy and whether or not he would have the political will to do so. Uh, for the simple reason that it is for the rich and powerful's interest to maintain uh, close relations with China, given that uh, you know investments coming from that particular country has come... Uh, in several folds right now and they've practically invested in various sectors. Uh, That's not to say that they are surpassing the presence of uh, US transnational corporations in the country. So I think it will be a tough balancing act uh, for the new administration to maintain stronger ties with China on one hand but at the same time still have uh, relations with other countries, especially the United States.
0: Richard, in less than 20 seconds, 1986, Aquino took took, took, uh, took over after the after the departure of uh, Marcos. People thought this was going to be the end of dictatorship. Now it's the return of the Marcos. How do you see the future mm-hmm. of Philippines?
1: I think uh, if the opposition doesn't get its act together, if they don't learn the right lessons and do the proper postmortem, the most likely outcome for the Philippines is what political scientists call a hybrid regime. The Philippines could end up more like neighboring countries like Malaysia or faraway countries like Hungary and Turkey, whereby you have thank semi-competitive you. electrons, semi-free media, but you know who's going to rule the country, which coalition will be in charge for the foreseeable future.
0: Richard Hedarian, Alvin Kamba, Danilo Arao, thank you very much indeed. I really appreciate your insight. That's it for the Inside Story podcast. This episode was produced by Mohammed Al Aishi, Laura Burden, Mali, Michael Howard, Jimmy Gittahun. Sudi so sound was Yasser Rahmani. The program was edited by Vishnu Shilla, Lin Nguyen, and Jody Frias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. We'll be back again on Monday. This week on The Take, We explore the water crisis people are facing in El Salvador, how some communities are dealing with it, and whether a new law can fix the problem. Listen to Al Jazeera's The Take wherever you get your podcasts.